0: Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and
1: Benjamin Kowalski.
0: Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 143 of the Freight 360 Podcast. We got a great episode and show today. I always love having guests on. Um, ben, how you doing today before we, we introduce our, our introduce and reintroduce
1: our guests today? Yeah, doing well. Had a pretty good discussion back in the green room. We probably should have got that recorded, but looking forward to the episode. Should have having a good we, time. I, we have to hit
0: record before we lose any of that. So uh, <laughs> Trey, Greg's back with us again. Trey, welcome back. It's always good to have you. How you doing today, Always man? good to be
2: with you guys, man. Uh, looking forward to some sports chat in a minute, but always yeah, good to be with
0: you guys. Yeah, we'll actually get to, we, we get to kind of Co op on a discussion today with some sports. Uh, and then we've also got Dan McCann uh, here with us today. Uh, Dan, welcome to the show. We'll give you a chance to introduce yourself here in just a little bit. So, of course, if you are brand new to Freight 360, we're glad you found us. If you've been with us for a while, uh, make sure to keep <laughs> listening, sending me your questions. We've got three more questions that we're going to answer at the end of today's episode. And keep sharing us with your friends. We're, we're up to over. Think our Facebook community is over forty-one thousand now, and um, we're getting crazy downloads and uh, good feedback. So, and obviously, you get the the trolls and the haters out there, but that just means you're getting more relevant. So, Trey knows that. So, (laughs) just kidding. All right. Before we get into the episode and the topic, we're going to talk a lot with um, you know the labor situation and and staffing in general today. But I want to. We got to talk some sports here. So we have to. uh, Come on. First off, we're going back to last week, last Wednesday, the uh, the match, right? The Capital Ones of the match. It was. Uh, is this episode
2: six? What, ver- what what version is
1: this? Five, I think six? it was. What? I think it was six, wasn't it? There was Tiger was and Phil was the first one. Was well, the second one was Phil and someone else, wasn't it? And then they went into the other athletes. Then they went to Capital, capital One stuff. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, it's not important. So anyway, I think it's like we number had six, the- something like that.
0: Trey, like normally I feel like as a Bills and Chiefs fan, like we're, we're usually on opposite sides of the of the of the uh um, Typically we are that's true.
2: It was, that's right. It was
0: really cool to see Allen and Mahomes play together. How how bad of a golfer is Josh Allen? Or I guess how how average of a <laughs> Like I think like I could golf with Josh Allen and I could well, I probably Well, considering have he's a that.
2: quarterback, like this is the thing. You got to think about it. Is, like you got to put it in context. He's a quarterback. Quarterbacks generally are athletes and they're good golfers. So, you know, you expect them to be better than that. You know, Rogers is pretty good. There's been a lot of quarterbacks through the years that have been pretty good golfers let's give him a little bit of time but I was, I was not impressed
0: no mahomes looked pretty good though i would say that so obviously if you didn't watch it it came down to the 18th green or i'm sorry they only had 12 holes so it was the 12th it came down to the last green. hole yeah. yeah and uh it was a little, literally um rogers had a he sank a nasty like 60 foot pop something like no one should Three, make it I that was podcast. 60 but it was long. Yeah. yeah but <laughs> um but yeah honestly i mean mahomes kept them in it and uh i mean brady He's not so good either, but he doesn't need to be. Rogers is myself. legit.
2: Rogers plays in the celebrity tournament every year. He's legit. He's a pretty good golfer. So, no, it was yeah. fun. Uh, it's nice to see those guys. I'll tell you what I enjoyed more than the match. I actually enjoyed the pre-match conversation. That they had with all four quarterbacks that they aired. Um, I caught a lot of that. And that was actually pretty fascinating because those guys, you know, Brady and Rodgers have gone after it, you know, to each, each other for, for many years. Now you got Mahomes and Brady have history. You got now Mahomes and Helen that have history. So they, they talked a lot about playoffs. They talked a lot about mentality and respect they have for each other. I actually enjoyed that more than the, the actual golf. I yeah,
1: think the back and, and forth was pretty funny.
0: They aired yeah. it like right at the end, I think, afterward, right? But it was recorded yeah. before.
1: Correct. Yeah, they That's all sat
0: correct. there and talked about like what was their, you know, what motivated them or whatever to get into football and all that stuff. So, and you know, stuff. like
2: Alan, Alan talked about how Mahomes came up to him after the game, the playoff game, and, and congratulated him. You know, in the in that moment of celebrating. Mahomes took the time to go over and, and congratulate Allen and then Mahomes said, well, the reason I did that was because Brady did that to me when they beat us. And so it's neat to see these guys who really respect each other and are learning from each other and really just kind of carrying the game. I mean, the game's in a really good spot with those guys and the many other great quarterbacks that the league has and the players in general, the game's in a pretty good spot, but those guys were fun to listen to.
0: Definitely. So I got to ask Dan, um, Dan, you, so you're, you're in Atlanta, the Atlanta area, right? Who's your, well, are you a, I mean, I assume you're a Falcons fan? Yeah, Falcons fan, Braves fan, and, and UGA fan. Okay, all right. right. Two dogs. Oh, I mean, you, you, you got, got, a got a couple championships. A championship. couple championships.
3: Right? I'm a transplant from uh, New York, though, so I still have a little affinity up in that what area. What part well. of New York? Uh, right out, right, like the city, New York City. So, okay. you know, Yankees, Giants. So, I, I, I live in Yankees, Buffalo, city. which is
0: why I had to ask which part of New York. People right, usually right. think Buffalo south. is in I'm Canada. I'm in the south side. I'm a Southie. Okay. I was just out there a couple of weeks ago, and uh, yeah, it's funny. we like, I was driving through Long Island. Well, I was in like New York City and Long Island, and you like cross literally like you cross a certain part of like it's either like Queens or something where all of a sudden like everyone switches from like uh, like for all the sports, right? Like baseball, um, hockey, and then I don't know how football splits up there, but it's like they it's like you literally like neighbors and you're right. rooting for opposite teams, so crazy yeah yeah. that's what that's Um,
3: that's the curse of having so many teams up in that market
0: yeah yep uh i I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago but did you guys see the one guy that got drafted for the jets and he had no idea that the jets played in uh, new jersey he thought he he was playing in new york city and i was like oh gosh Uh, so
3: nate Nate, would you ask me what part of new york i was about to say north jersey right so I, i always tell people i'm from new york now that i live in atlanta but it's like what part of New York, Mom? New Jersey? They're like, you know, that's a different state, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yep, my mom
0: told me. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, let's talk golf a, a little bit further here before we get in. I feel like we're having a good sports chat here. What do you think about the um, the? Is it the Saudi Arabian League? Is that the the Live Golf? L
2: I V Golf. Yeah, yeah. L I V Golf. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what? you know it's interesting because it's. You, you there's two sides to it there's this side that says hey like let's let let's let uh, let's let there be competition between leagues which would actually be i think be healthy which would make the leagues better but this is not necessarily fair market competition because they just have an unlimited amount of funds so it's it's got a slight different slightly different dynamic than um, than i think fair market competition but what's interesting is that you know when you if you take away just take away liv golf for a moment and you just evaluate the salaries or the the earnings that professional golfers make compared to other sports, it's laughable. The top golfer might make $9 million a year in earnings if they play well. There's no guarantee, they gotta play well. Right. And the most they can make is about $9 million a year. You look at the top football player, $45 million a year. The top basketball player, $55, $60 million a year. Um, in, others, in other Soccer. major sports, you know they're, they're making significantly more money at the top. And in other sports too, your expenses are paid. So if you play on a baseball team, for example, and you make you know, $30 million in a year, you're also not paying for hotels, you're not paying for travel, you're not paying for food. But in professional yeah. golf, you're paying for everything. So if you're a brand new player on the PGA Tour, if you're one of the top 150, 200 players in the world, on the PGA Tour, you have no guarantee of income. You have no, uh, you have you no know, help with travel expenses and all the all the things that go into it. They have to pay for everything, minus what they get from sponsors, whether it be clubs, balls, shoes, and they get some things, and they get endorsement deals for sure. But it's the only sport, maybe maybe tennis as well, where. You're not guaranteed anything and you have to pay all your own expenses and these guys are the best in the world at what they do and bring a lot of money to the PGA tour through T V deals and things like that. That's so, the other thing,
1: Trey. That was what Phil was like <clears throat> really pitching a bitch about like when this first came right. out and he was like, Look, like he's like some of the videos of my shots, like we'll say it like at the Masters, right? Like he's like, say, you know, I hole one out from seventy yards. Like that video might make millions of dollars to the PGA. He's like, I, I, he I get over none of and it. Over.
2: And they'll use it over None of it. and over, He's that's like, right.
1: He's like, that's my work product. I've practiced for decades to be able to do that and then they get to sell it and I don't even get a revenue share on it. And he's like, you and know. And if he
2: does use it, they will they will come after him and tell him to take them. it down.
1: Right. Exactly. So, and he's like, you know, you know, that's not fair. I mean, both yeah, sides of it. I mean,
2: there's a lot to it, but I think when you just look at, you know, this sport versus other sports, the players definitely feel like, hey, we're the product here. Take us away in PJ Tour, you have nothing. And yet they don't, there's no minimum, like I, I, my thought is this, if you make the PGA Tour, if you get a PGA Tour card, the, the tour should probably give you some money, like for doing that, for being a part of the tour, to help pay for expenses, to make it a little bit easier, you know, to, to perform at your highest level and all those kind of things, um, and just change the way that they structure things. But right now it's it's a brutal sport, it's very hard, people grind, they go into massive debt, there's no guarantee that they're gonna make it, you know, it's tough.
1: There used yeah. to be two leagues back in the '60s. I can't remember what there the other were. one was, but there were two yeah. leagues before pretty much Palmer and Nicholas made Nicholas. PGA yeah. the right, pre, you know, predominant. I guess right. event you can or see league. That
3: league. Is Corn Ferry they, another league or just a, a minor league for the PGA?
2: Corn Ferry is a, is a minor league. And that's the other thing, too, is that the PGA Tour has made it so hard for you know college kids to come out and get on tour. Like other sports, you get drafted and you can play right away. But on the PGA Tour, yeah. you have to go through kind of the minor league system. That's the only way really to get on tour. And this is where it's going to be interesting because LIV Golf has money. So they could go to the, the, college, the to top 10, top 15 amateur golfers in the world and they can offer them money right away, life changing money to come over and play. And if they get those guys, which imagine if you're 22 and you have the chance to go play fewer events than the PJ Tour and make guaranteed big time money and, and play well, that's life changing money. It's going to be hard to say no. Where are they getting uh, the, I mean, that. I mean
0: it's a- where, where's the money coming from though?
2: Saudi. So the money's coming from Saudi Arabia. They have a, they've got a, a, basically a fund that they've created for public. It's like, I think it's called the public investment fund. So they're taking their their money and they're using it. But here's the thing they're saying, Hey, you, you can't take Saudi money. It's blood money. They're in the, um, the major um, professional soccer league over in Europe. Uh, they're in they in that league. They've owned a team over there. They have other events. LPGA plays in Saudi Arabia. Um, the European Tour plays in Saudi Arabia. They're in other sports as well. And when you think about that in light of what's going on in China and the NBA's footprint in China, nobody's you know telling NBA that they shouldn't you know be a part of what's happening in China, even though China's has has a bad record of of human uh, human rights violations as well. Like to me, it's it's a, it, the argument falls flat. Like yeah. Should, should, we, should we be conscious about where money comes from? I think ideally you'd say yes, but that's not how the real world, world works. That's not how it happens. And so if the Saudis are funding the LPGA to come to the LPGA and have an event there, if they're funding the European tour to come have an event there, if they're a part of the soccer league over in Europe as well, this is just the PGA tour's only argument to say you shouldn't do this because it's morally wrong when clearly from a moral standpoint, it seems to be that they're taking quite a bit of an advantage of the players that make their product.
1: It's a monopoly. As of right now, <laughs> they'll do it anything totally they can to protect it. Man.
2: Totally, is a monopoly. You know, so and and for them to say that people can't play on their tour, I mean, I guess that's their opinion. But if enough, it's power in numbers, right? If enough top players go, if enough top players go, the PGA will be forced to change what they're doing. And I hope that they, I, I hope that they are, because I think competition actually makes everything better.
0: Who Who are the big names? I think I saw Bryson was one of the latest ones to commit. Um, Phil I don't know. Phil, DJ, and.
2: I think. Yeah, Phil DJ Ricky's going over there for a little mm-hmm. bit. There's some other players in the European Tour Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, some of those guys. Um, one of the big surprises uh, was a guy who was uh, an up and coming um, PJ Tour. He just won, Taylor Gooch. He's, uh, he's a, he won on the PJ Tour. He's like, you know, in his twenty like 24, 25, so he's a younger player, and he made the jump. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see if they get the amateurs to come over. Uh, who else might uh, defect? Kevin Na went over there as well. So there's several, yeah. but uh, but it, it's pretty fascinating to see what's going to happen with that. So
0: interesting. Uh, lastly, on golf, the Memorial Tournament was it last weekend, right? Um, yep. Last weekend. Billy yeah. Horschel. Yep. Billy H. Um, yeah, he he had a. I mean, he his last round wasn't. Phenomenal, but he had such a strong, I think he, what did he shoot, like even? Maybe one under on well, the last you're, round? Well,
2: when you're five up, you basically yeah. tell everybody to come get you. I mean, that's kind exactly. of how that works. That was know? pretty
1: close in the PGA though. wasn't, uh, oh, my mind just went blank. He was five or six up starting Sunday for the PGA and he ended up losing, what, 17th and 18th? My mind just went blank. He, the uh, um, No, PGA was, uh, was Mito Pereira. He was up yeah, three Mito. shots.
2: Um, but three shots is different than five. I mean, He's I know only it's only two shots, Sunday? but. Yeah, he's only have three starts on He was, he was oh. nine under and second place was six under. But still at the same time, like when you're playing well um, and the golf course is not necessarily yielding a ton of birdies, if you shoot par, then you force people at minimum to shoot five under. And that's tough to do. So, you know, I think when you're when you're in the lead like that, you try not to play conservative but you also aren't taking many risks because you don't have to. So you're, you're hitting exactly. middle of the fairway, maybe hitting an iron or three-wood off the tee, you're hitting middle of the green, you're two-putting for par, maybe it'll drop for birdie. Just don't make mistakes. I think that's, you know, that that was that was the key to that. And, you know,
0: it's hard I still did, to he, pick up five, six strokes. I think on 15, and that, that was pretty much, at that point, he's like, all right, I, I got yeah. three holes left, it's just play super conservative. Yeah, uh, those guys
2: are good enough. He could have he could have won with a putter at that point. Take your
0: putter out, (laughs) a seven iron. I think Thomas uh, Thomas came from six back at the (laughs) PGL,
1: parred the back with a seven iron. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Justin Thomas definitely
3: came back. Thomas was six back,
2: wasn't he? He was actually eight back with ten holes to go. But the difference is, the difference is, Mito Pereira didn't didn't play even par. Mito Pereira plays even par. He wins the championship easily. You know, so yep. that that's the whole point. Is like if somebody comes back to you, you got a shot. But you know, as well as Justin Thomas played, if uh, Mito Pereira doesn't make mistakes, you know he doesn't. Justin mm-hmm. Thomas doesn't win. So that's that's the issue. You got to shoot a crazy good round on a Sunday to come back from five strokes. And that and second place was five strokes. So you got to think about it. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh place were probably six, seven mm-hmm. strokes back. So that's an even bigger bigger lift. So, you know, there's a good calculation on Billy Ho's part. Cool to see his good. kids run out on the green as well when he won. Love yeah. that's probably my favorite moment in golf is when the kids run out on the green. They don't care about anything. You know, they're just yep. running out to see dad. I love that innocence. It's so much fun to see.
0: Oh yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, good stuff. Um we got a good episode today, good topic. Ben, let's give a shout out to our friends over at DAT Freight and Analytics before we hop into the main content here.
1: Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, and you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. With industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of DAT Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge. Absolutely.
0: All right, so we're going to talk the labor market today, <clears throat> in general. You know, obviously, our, our our episodes are very all over the place sometimes. But I wanted to introduce uh, Dan McCann here and give you just a quick second to tell us about you know what you do. I know you we're, If you guys aren't watching on YouTube, it's apparently it's hat day because we're all wearing hats. But yeah, Dan uh, Dan's got the SimTrain hat on. Dan, tell us a little bit about you and SimTrain and kind of what uh, how you and Trey cross paths.
3: Sure, Trey and I added our hats after we logged in and saw the two of you guys, Nate and Ben. So we said, <laughs> oh, we better put our hats on too. So uh, happen to have one in the office. So yeah, I, I, I crossed paths with Trey when uh, he was at Lean and uh, leading sales. Uh, we, we built a product that helps employees practice their job in a simulated environment, both conversations as well as software. And we were doing some work with lean. Uh, Trey leaned in big time on uh, sim training, uh, and you know, bringing on new new employees. You talk about you know labor. They they grew from what 1,200 to 7,000 uh, people last year alone, uh, and and um, you know, utilizing simulation-based training where people can practice on their own, get instant feedback on their performance build confidence while they're developing skills is a big part of you know, that type of growth. And it's also a big number to maintain too, Nate. So uh, has both sides training as well as coaching and, and retention of, uh, of employees.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, it's good to have you on here. Ben, looks like you're about to hop in and say something, what do you got? No,
1: I I was just, I'm anxious to kind of dig in. Um, I got a chance to go through their website, obviously in preparation of this. It's a really cool company and I think it solves like a really valid problem for training people, right? You know, especially in our industry, there's a pretty big cost to mistakes. Um, Even minuscule mistakes, right? Like a BOL number wrong, a PO's wrong, right? Like a zip code, a city's wrong, like you're sending a truck maybe to the wrong side of the country, right? We've all seen this stuff happen. So, I mean, I think there's an, a real reluctance in our industry to for on-the-job training for some very valid reasons. And I think this product is a great solution to a problem and it really allows some people to get some real life experience. Um, so really anxious to kind of dig in and hear a little bit more about it.
0: Well, and one of the things too that I think about, and this is broker specific, but it probably relates to, to other industries, but. Let's say uh, you know a broker, um, hi- a smaller brokerage, right, hires a new rep, and that person gets assigned to an account after six months or whatever. If they're not properly trained and they, and they don't know how to handle certain situations, because of a mistake they make, it could cost a large customer, right? You could lose a massive customer, and then mm-hmm. your business could potentially lose a big chunk of its of its sales or revenue because of one mistake that that person was not properly either trained on or didn't have somebody there to assist them through that. So that's that's kind of what popped out to me. So it's it's a really cool uh, product I think that you guys have. Uh, I wanna hop over to Trey now. Trey, get, get us caught up. I know we, we just went through basically uh, Golf 201 right there, but uh, nice. <laughs> what's the latest and greatest with you? It's been, it's been far too long since we've had you on the show.
2: Well, good to be back as always. Couple of things. First of all, Dan, that hat is fire. Love that. I need to get one of those SimTrain hats. Uh, those are those are nice. Shout out to my boy Ryan Rogers at Silver Fox Techs, Locate as well for the hat that I'm getting to wear today. Um, so no, it's great to be back on the on the on the show. And you know, the number one reason that employees new employees fail is for poor onboarding and poor training you know when they're not brought into a company well with a good process a solid process and they don't get trained in their job well it is just a recipe for disaster so not only is there that risk of revenue loss or customer loss but there's also the risk and the cost of employee loss employee retention you know if you spend all that time bringing an employee in and then you don't train them well and don't onboard them well they don't experience success then after two, three, four, five, maybe six months, they're gone. You're starting that process all over again, and the cost to replace a full-time employee, entry level, is around twenty-five to thirty percent of their salary. So if you're paying somebody, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, you're looking at, you know, 20,000 bucks to replace them. And if you're, you know, it's just a, a cycle that just continues. So having proper training and onboarding is so critical, and that's one thing I love about what Dan's doing at SimTrain. I'm um, so excited to have him on the on the show today and talk about yeah. that. So as far that, as I just. Yeah, saw, go ahead real quick. That,
0: that, this reminded me of something, this takes me back to my, uh, I took a course in college um, and it was it was like, I don't know if it was, it was OB, is that an occupational behavior? What, something with like, it was almost like an HR type course. And it talked about the cost of training and retention. And it was something like, and this is probably like uh, 15 years ago, but that it was like 25 to $30,000 was the average realized cost to a company if they hire, train, and then don't retain an employee through six, like a six month period or something like that. It's, it's insane. And that's, yeah, it's, that's assuming them. that they don't make a mistake that costs you financially in addition to whatever their, their salary and all that was. So right, yeah, it's a big, was, that's a big thing there.
1: On that same point, I remember when I worked at one of the larger box companies. I was astounded at how that one—that was the largest line item expense in the entire company—was exactly what we're talking about: training and employee turnover. And they were like, "This is by far the largest cost to growth. is bringing people in that don't make it that we train and invest, you know, an inordinate amount of money in that you just get no return on." Right. And I think a lot of companies try to somehow get the growth and avoid that risk and it's really not possible because it's a human risk right the only really way you mitigate it is through training education and giving them real life experience so that they can actually learn the job quicker right i mean just sending somebody out there and going hey let's see how you do right is absolutely a recipe for failure
2: yeah yeah people need to see wins early on you know they need to see see success early
3: on in their role That's a big point, you know, Trey, people want to be successful. Right, and if they're struggling, and they're looking at people next to them who are doing well at their job, and they're asking them like, what do I need to do? Why am I not doing well? All of a sudden they feel like they don't belong, and it's harder to fit in to the culture and become part of the organization because they're struggling longer than, maybe the company doesn't think they're struggling longer than they should be, but they do, and their mindset starts to wander, and then they start to wander off, and and then attrition becomes the only alternative for them. I
1: think that happens also, to a lot of people way more frequently than you'd think. I mean, Nate, we ran into this with our class that we taught Tuesday. A few people that have been you know, in brokerage now for a year hitting a lull where they just, to that same point, like don't necessarily, I don't wanna say it's not motivation, but it's demoralization and it's related to like expectations. They expect to get farther, faster, and when they don't, they get demoralized and frustrated. And the only way you help with that is through training, right, coaching, practice.
0: I'll tell you one yep. thing that I've run into quite a bit over the years with, you know, the the agent side of freight brokering is I'll come across folks that it's their first time being an, a ten ninety nine independent contractor as a as an agent for a brokerage and they previously worked as a W two employee for a small company and they they're trained and experienced in freight, but they were trained bad habits. And that to me is almost worse than not being trained. Like we had people I've come across people that they thought, you know, let's say um, you get a truck order not used from a customer or detention, right? The customer is going to pay you something in addition to what they were going to. And then they take that and they either pay less to the carrier or they don't pay the carrier at all. And they're just like, they're basically just taking money and mm-hmm. it's becoming a, a profit center for them. And I'm like, that's a terrible business practice to, like if, if your customer is gonna pay a truck order not used for $200, cause they ended up canceling the truck that you got them, that should go to the truck. That's not, You don't get to keep that. That's just part <laughs> of you doing it. But you know, there's there's companies that they instill and train bad habits and business practices into their employees. And then they wonder why their culture of their business or their reputation is, you know, subpar. So. I think there's something to be said about that as well.
3: You you know, it's kind of funny, Nate, that one of the reasons we built SimTrain is, we would train people, and it was all knowledge-based, right? And that was a big problem, and they needed to learn how to apply that knowledge and perform, and they'd go out on the floor, and and, and oftentimes, they weren't asking our, our best people. They were asking, like, the bottom 20%, what do I do? And they were picking up really bad habits or they couldn't interpret it, right? And it was, like, it was so funny because I, I actually, before we built Simtrain, we integrated into training how to go read the scorecard on the floor so you knew which people to go ask and which ones not to go ask, how to do your job better, right? So, and then I figured that's not working. Let's, let's go ahead and build something that can actually, everyone can learn how to do their job the right way and do it better. Yeah, So I'm quick, speaking,
2: uh, let me jump in real quick. So speaking to our friends over at DAT, Um, I started working there in 2012, and I had a month long training program. Uh, Shout out to Janice Copton and the inside sales uh, department. I did not spend time with any sales reps or get near the floor for two weeks minimum i went through a, a very rigorous training process and what that did was it allowed me once i did hit the floor once i did meet with reps and start just watching what they're doing i had such a good baseline foundation for the process and for all that that i was able to ramp up really quickly once i got started but think about that DAT basically paid me for a month to do nothing like from a, from a value standpoint or return because they saw the value of proper training, and most of their reps did really well when they got started because they put the time in to train correctly, and a lot of companies just don't do that. So shout out to our friends over at DAT and uh, my friend and my first sales boss, Janice Compton.
0: That's that's a really good point. Um, so when I started in truck and I worked for Conway Freight, which is now XPO, but the first four months that I worked for them, they sent me on the road to different service centers to to shadow and learn different parts of the business. So everything from riding in a truck for a week with some, one of the um, local pickup and delivery guys in, in a certain city, um, riding around with a sales guy for a week, uh, working on the dock, doing um, overnight, you know, cross-docking, doing morning dispatch, doing daytime dispatch, do you know, literally everything, doing office administration. And they, you know, they had to pay to send me across the entire northeast region and you know, hotel, food, everything. And like you said, Trey, no value return, like they're not making any more money from me at this point. I'm literally just an expense to them. But 4 months, so a third of a year before I'm even then they, they they see where I, where am I strong you know where can I best be utilized um, in their organization and then they placed me in a specific service center that had a specific need that I would be um, good at working on and um, it goes to show that companies like that that will invest time into their into their folks you know they I I, I believe that I gave them a better return on their investment than other companies where they just. They plug and play and they hope hope you work out. So I think um, there's a lot to be said about that. And people, business owners have this expectation of, oh, I'm going to add a sales rep and boom, they're going to make me money right away. That's not necessarily the case.
1: I think that's really good takeaway, right, for all of our listeners out there. Right. Like the reason the larger companies do this isn't just because like randomly one day they said, like, let's try to spend more money before we put them to work. Right. Like it's because over the periods of decades, they realized that when they did a little bit more of it in test pilots, those people performed on average better than the rest. So then they rolled it out to more and over and over and over and over improved, right? And you see this, like you just pointed out, Nate, so often with some of the smaller companies and not even just in our industry, in other industries, right, that just have this expectation that this guy has sales experience and even it's in a different industry. Well, I'm sure that'll transfer over. Within a week or two, he'll be printing money for us. And the reality is, is even when you know how to do this job and you move to another company, there's a learning curve and you still need to have this time before you get up to speed and I think like the, the more in line our expectations are with reality the way more likely we are to succeed and also what Dan pointed out the way less likely we are to frustrate the people we're bringing on right we're bringing them on because all those things like same, same with me, like I didn't, I didn't always have a great experience with some of my first sales jobs, but I fondly remember the training and the culture and the environment when you see that people care about your well being, They care about your development and it genuinely makes you wanna work harder with them and for them on this goal, right? Like that's how you build a culture. It's not just, hey, we'll see if this develops over time by throwing people at phones and seeing who succeeds and who fails, right? It's genuinely caring enough that you're going to put that forward first.
2: Yeah, success is the product of proper expectations. Oh, it's critical to remember that. So, let's talk about SimTrain. <clears throat> I love to talk about this. I'm uh, excited about what Dan's doing and SimTrain yeah. with the team because not only is training important, but especially if you're scaling, if you're adding a lot of people, it is hard to train each person really, really well with one or two trainers because there's just not enough time. There's not enough bandwidth. There's not, you know, there's just not enough time to do that, and you you run into a lot of human error. In uh, training, you know, bad bad practices. But if you can standardize it into a structure like what SimTrain has, it allows you to scale and continue with a high
3: level of quality training, and that's that's really critical. So
2: let's talk about SimTrain.
3: Yes. So uh, Trey, you know, I mentioned you know my new hires coming in and learning from the best folks on my floor, and also tapping the shoulder of my worst folks. I will tell you, even the coaches that we were preparing and getting ready to provide them feedback and give them reinforcement on per- performance, they, you know that the need for a consistent message to a new hire, you know, whether I'm talking to Trey today and I go to Ben tomorrow, you guys are both great at your jobs, but I'm going to interpret what you're telling me a little bit different and I'm going to try to find my path to least resistance potentially. And then all of a sudden I get lost, right? And so, you know, having a technology that provides that instant feedback that's consistent across the entire enterprise, whether it's five or 5,000 people. you know makes a big impact on how fast I learn and how quickly I'm gonna be able to apply that knowledge. And that's just on the feedback side, having the repetition and being able to go through those scenarios that Nate was talking about before, whether it's four months across different locations or it's four hours across multiple simulations, uh, having that repetition, being able to go through it, I need to build my confidence and my skills and um, it's one of the reasons we, we put the product together in the first place so folks could uh, you know get that value. And, and love me. it, I mean, doing it in the transportation uh, space has been a big... Uh, inspiration for us. We love working with these companies, uh, you know, and the amount of time, effort, and energy they put into getting people successfully onboarded and, and wanting to be successful. It's it's our it's our number one channel for for this entire year. For so
0: us. let let me ask you this too. So you know, whenever there's a a product or a service that is new to somebody, I always like to ask the question like, where does the information or the data or the I guess where where does the information that you guys have that you're putting into the training where does it come from right how do we know it's good you know it's gonna it's gonna lead you towards success and it's not bad bad data or bad habits that we're that we're training folks on where does that come from
3: yeah i'll start i'll let trey follow up because he actually did some of that work what's really cool is that training comes from our customers everything's 100 percent customizable you can build all your own content. It could be based on training you're already doing. You might be doing role plays or round robins, or you might be doing you know shadowing exercises like you were talking about, and you're just converting that into Simtrain, which it's all yours already. Or you might not have that, right? So we got the folks at Lean who are building out a complete library, carrier sales, customer sales, track and trace, operations, different roles and functional tasks within you know a brokerage that they need. They're building out that library so it's all sitting there. You could run it as is, or you can customize it instead of having to start from scratch and building all new content, which is a big a big win for uh, you know companies in the space having
1: that complete library to lean into. I have a question. So, um, yeah. So, is it everybody's kind of open source? So, like technically, if I got in there, I could go through Lean's catalog of training as of right now. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Right? And and you it's it's you know, so when you say everyone open source, Ben, when you create your content and your custom content, then that you lock that down. Mm -hmm. You know, what we what we set up in our partnership with Lean is theirs Ah. is open, right? And so I don't get access to your actual content that you're running for a specific client that's customized and I get to see all that. That gets walled off. But then there is an open library that, that they created that folks can go in and pull from. Um, you know, maybe in the future we create an open marketplace where you can contribute everyone and you can get paid for for contributing into the content library as
1: well. Well, what I was saying, and this is definitely something we could talk more about off air too and and tend to is like, I think this is a great addition to what we do at Free360 as well. Again, we were talking about this in the green room, like, We'll run sessions. We'll run trainings. Like you could see, it sticks. And what did you refer to it as? What the doorway? The effect? doorway effect. I I I I, I only retain ten
3: percent. So like I forget ninety percent of what we talked about when I leave the door. Right.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's true, and we and we know that, right? And it's funny because that's where I mean our whole industry, coaching and training, moved away from like the seminar business. You know, probably five seven years ago for that same reason, because people go, they get fired up, this is great two, three days later, we go back to what we were doing. Right. Like it's the consistency in what you're doing that changes habits, changes behavior and really leads you to the goals and the things that everybody wants. Right. You know, the growth in the company, the growth in your book of business. And I think this would be a fantastic addition for, you know, our training, our coaching and even the, you know, the clients that go through our course that want some self-paced training before they're ready to, you know, jump into it how would that actually be facilitated? Like, how does this work? So if I'm a, let's say I own my own brokerage, I've got 50 people, what does this look like from my point of view? Yeah, first off, Ben, I totally agree with your sentiment. Trey, take it.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, you know, uh, just to to piggyback on what Dan said and answer your question, Ben. The great thing about this is that um, each company brings their own expertise and their own process. If you give this to ten different freight brokers, yes, there is some crossover, some best practices that happen, but there might be some variances in each uh, in each brokerage, whether it be the the technology they use, a different TMS or a different overall process that they might use. So it comes from the company providing the training in conjunction with working with the team at SimTrain to help you know build those, to get the training on how to build these out, and it's super easy to use, very intuitive from a user perspective to create sims and to edit and modify sims moving forward. Um, but basically what happens is you know when you sign up for SimTrain, uh, they take you through a in-depth training, which is awesome. I mean, they, 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 they drink their own Kool-Aid. They do a great training to make sure that you know how to build sims, um, available for any questions you might have, as the as the sims become more complex, there's branch capabilities. So based upon the answer that you know that they get, uh, a rep would need to an answer a certain way. And so you can have different variations in terms of like a sales call, it's not always cookie cutter in terms of what the prospect says on the call. A lot of times the, the responses vary. So you can create branches and so they can get really complex and simtrain is always there to help out. But we you know simtrain always works with their uh, their customers. To build custom sims for them you could start with a template like we said with some of the content that's already in there and then customize it or you can start from scratch if it's a totally new process or something different um, but it's all about working with sim with their trainers to build the content to uh to, to you know, manage that content moving forward and to really build out their own training library and then you can jump in on that but it's been a great yeah. process working with them
3: yeah and then ben what's cool as a learner I can, I can just log in on my cell phone. I could take a, a 15 minute break. I could do it after hours. I could run it on my laptop uh, at, my, at my workstation. I could run these scenarios to kind of get the repetition I need to be effective. Or you could tie it into a learning management system or alternate applications where I'm getting my knowledge-based
1: training and then boom, now go work on how to perform this activity through through these exercises. That was my next question. Is it an LMS or does it work in conjunction with an LMS? Right, because like our course sits on an LMS, right? And I was like, how would this look like? You know, even just for example, like so if I go into SimTrain, is it like my curriculum's there and it has like different modules within it? Is it like typically like a timeline where people go through yeah. it? By, like, how does it normally structured? Or can you give us an example? So
3: both, both of those things are correct, right? You have modules, we have individual SIMs you can run labeled by content, by functional role, by the different situations or scenarios. And then what a lot of our clients do is they'll take those and embed them into their LMS tool, either by deep linking And then when they run the SIM, they put that data back into an LMS and says, hey, Dan completed all of this content and he got all the acceptable scores. And you can actually set SIM train up that you can't do the next level of modules till you got acceptable scores on the prior activities that you were supposed to do. So it progresses me through the learning uh, process. Right, and so it's really neat to, to to integrate with any sort of core technologies. If it's an HRIS system, if it's learning management, if you happen to have any call recording or QA monitoring tools, the you know SimTrain will embed into those technologies to uh, give you the ability to run the exercises. It's really great, you know, to know. Okay, Dan McCann has these deficits, so Dan, go fix that. And I'm like, okay, well, how? What do I do? Like go run through these sims and run through these exercises and you'll work on those behaviors and those skill sets that you're lacking and that's the that's
1: the big integration play with you know what you're using today that's the biggest gap i think in coaching and training honestly is the knowledge to application right because it's the one thing a coach and a trainer can't facilitate unless they're literally sitting next to that person throughout the week right and no like to your point earlier trainers even in big companies like i mean we had a trainer when i was at the larger company i think there was 85 people in our office the hiring classes were 25 people was one person i mean even with a dedicated full-time trainer and that's not a big office by the way like that's a right. pretty small satellite office and they were absolutely stretched then they can't sit there and shadow and role play calls every hour of every day, like there yeah. really hasn't been somewhere where you can send somebody. Like when you said deficit, I'm like, that is just a perfect example of, hey, this is what we need to work on. Here's the sims, run these, let's see how this helps. Uh, Trey, what were Let you- me give you an example.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say, let me give you a, uh, an actual example mm-hmm. of that. So, you know, at Lean, we have an, a carrier sales department that brings on a lot of people each month to uh, take on carrier sales roles. And carrier sales is pretty straightforward in terms of what you're asking somebody to do, whether it be, it's you know, obviously to sell a uh, you know, load to a truck or to work on um, you know, building your capacity network and so we uh, had one guy who was really leading all the training and he was trying to do one-on-one role-playing with all of the the, mm-hmm. you know, the employees and it was very difficult i mean the guy was just like just you know there's just no time he's just going crazy we got the sim set up for him so that he could then ha- put all of his team through those where they're doing the simulations the role-playing with sim train and no longer with him and now the 50 people in his class are able to get really good training and really good feedback and then you know he can then take a look at their scores and where their deficiencies are and focus just on the deficiencies to bring them up and so his time is much more targeted it's much more focused much more efficient and he's much happier because he's not trying to fit in 50 one-on-one calls with new people every month and so it just creates a ton of efficiency it creates a streamlined training process um, and just allows one person to do way more than they could ever do on their own Uh, because the training as you can imagine just wasn't as good before you just
1: can't get it all in it's funny and it's like that is my bottleneck, right? Like that's what Nate and I run into as coaches. Like it's that like I have clients and I try to as much as I can jump on, you know, dialing sessions with them, do it with them so that they can get an example of it. But again, like I'm always constrained by the hours in the day. There's only so much you can do and at a certain Correct. point I end up with more clients and I have hours in the day and you just can't do as much as you would like.
0: I see that a yep. lot with so like let's say you've got a a broker or an agent that they're kind of stretched thin, right? And they're like, it's time for me to hire somebody. And then what they don't always think about is, well, if I'm gonna hire somebody, to make them effective, I have to spend a lot of time training them and getting them up to speed, which takes away from me being able to be productive, you know, productive with my book of business. And oftentimes, I've seen people that they've tried to, they've gone through like three people and that people don't work out. And they're like, man, I just got three bad eggs. And I'm like, or did you not properly train them? And they, they didn't work out because they didn't. You, know I mean? like you, you were more concerned about hitting your number than
1: getting someone up to speed. Yeah, there, there's uh, a common assist.
2: denominator in that equation.
0: Uh, yeah. for, for that
2: person. Yeah.
1: And you know what else is funny, right? Like the analogy I always kind of use when people are at that point in our industry is that like they're underwater, right? They can't keep up with the workload they have, right? But they don't realize when they bring on the person to help them get their head above water, at first, that person's going to sit on their shoulders and push them below water. Push and they're you like, You've got to tread twice as hard for the next two to three weeks for this person to have any chance or shot. And guess what 100%. that means? That means if you're running 100 loads or 50 loads a week, you're going to be doing 20% less, 25% less, maybe 40% right. less. And realize that. That's a real cost, and people try to avoid it, and to Nate's point, where does that show up? It shows up because they're not willing to give up to pay the bill, right, to pay that cost and time, and where that comes up is, like you pointed out, the common denominator. Everybody they try to train but don't give the time to ends up never having the tools to succeed and didn't have a shot in the first place.
2: And that's where something like SimTrain Changes the balance of that equation, changes out that that time requirement where they can still spend, they still need to spend time with that person, but maybe they can give that person tasks to do on SimTrain while they move those loads and try to stay above water a little bit better. Having a partner in that whole equation, whether it's training one person or training a hundred people, SimTrain can be really valuable. Now we've just seen that across the board at Lean.
1: And also they only have to do it once, right? Like they've got to build it out one time and can use it for all three of those people. They're not literally trading hour for hour.
2: (laughs) Exactly, making adjustments is a lot easier down the road and making tweaks if you find something better. But yeah, once you have it what you want, then it's just, you know, rinse and repeat.
0: I'm really excited about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any any further or final thoughts on the uh, the labor market training in general? I know this is, you can go down a deep rabbit hole here, but it's been a good well, discussion. I'll,
2: I'll jump in just to say a couple of things real quick. It's, it's interesting what's happening in the market right now. We're seeing that employers are pulling back from offers that they've made to employees, slowing down hiring just a little bit. But what's interesting about that is, is that the workload isn't changing. The economy is still doing pretty well. Um, people are still buying buying products and things like that. So I think what employers are deciding is, you know, the labor costs have gotten too expensive. So we're going to have to roll with our current team or we're going to have to find another solution. Uh, You know, for us, that's been a good play at lean because, you know, people are finding great quality talent, whether it be Uh, with our team in Colombia, Guatemala, or in the Philippines. Uh, They're finding good talent to kind of fill some of those roles. And it's a self-correction. We talked about this in the green room before. It's a self-correction because, you know, as inflation goes and as as salaries go up, at some point there's a breaking point where it's just not really sustainable. You're not getting quality talent. People are only lasting four, five, six months, and they're not really panning out. And I think employers are saying, you know, we're we're going to hold back just a little bit on hiring. But not because the economy is slowing down, but because the costs have gotten a little too expensive.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the big that's advantage, right. right? That's always been with the offshore, you know, nearshoring, right? Like there's just such a you know right. discrepancy great between employees. the cost of employees yeah. here as it is there, and it's not a difference in yeah. quality; it's just a difference in economic situations of the countries. That's right. So great team me, members, me great ask.
2: attitudes, but lower costs for sure.
1: Let me ask this question in regards to the, the
0: staffing pillar of of lean. So um like what what is a proper expectation that someone should set for themselves of hey i've got a new person starting let's say next month how long should somebody expect before that person is fully integrated on average into their Company and in in, in their pro, company's processes before they're effect, an effective team member, and their I guess their training or onboarding period is you know is fully complete. Are we, are we talking well, months, weeks? What is it, that com, on average? Yeah, it like?
2: completely depends on the role because some roles require more training than others. If you're looking for a BDR, for example, that, that's I tell people three to six months before you start to see a real good return because. That's a harder role. If it's a track and trace position, that's a little bit easier role. So it might be, you know, two, two to four weeks before you're really starting to see them just like doing really, really well and getting up to speed with what what it is. So, but but it shouldn't be any different than what's normal. So if they hire somebody in the states for track and trace, what how long does it take them to become you know up and running and 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 productive on the team? That shouldn't be any different just because they're in Colombia or Guatemala. So I, I would look at you know what you're typically used to. Obviously, working with Lean, you have a partner who does. Something the training that helps you out tremendously. So there is an accelerant in that regard, but it shouldn't be any longer than what you're used to expecting. If it takes somebody a month to get used to track and trace, expect a month, maybe two weeks, and uh, be pleasantly surprised when it's faster.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say you make a good point between your basically your sales reps and your ops people. So I was thinking more operations, and because uh, that's what the the first hire for a lot of these successful brokers is is they want someone to do like track and trace and Data entry, things like that, that are taking away from them increasing their sales, right? And I, I usually tell somebody, you're going to spend a month, right? You're going to, you're going to spend a month of them, you know, they're they're shadowing you. You're having to show them what you're doing and why you're doing it. And oh, if this ha-, like, there's different scenarios that they're going to have to run into, which it sounds like Simtrain kind of can expedite that process for you. Absolutely, and give you more time. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but it, yeah, eventually, you know, I, I always say about a month for an ops person, but sales, yeah, I think. I until I would just say if it hasn't been like you said three to six months I usually would say like four to six. Um, if you haven't given it that long, you don't know if they're effective or not yet. Because there's people that they're like week three they're like they're not doing anything and I'm like it's sales like a lot, a lot of this your your sales cycle is very very long in a lot of uh, a lot of the things in, in transportation right. because you don't just pick up the phone and try to close somebody on the first call right you've got to build rapport build relationships exactly. they have to they have to figure out the best <laughs> way to present. Their offering and service, and find their voice on the phone, uh, and you yeah. know, just start, just start fishing. You know,
2: if you take proper training, proper development, pipeline development, uh, learning from mistakes on the phone. You know, three months minimum for somebody in sales to even see you know, how they're going to perform and you know what their deficiencies are and where to improve. You know, a typical ramp up period for almost any company, any product is somewhere between on average three to six months. If it's a longer sales cycle, it might be six months to a year before you really know if this person has it. If it's a shorter sales cycle or a, a, a lower cost product, it might be two to four months. But I think three to six is that sweet spot. There's just there's just things you can't sidestep in sales. You know. Ag-
1: yeah. Agree. I would say the only caveat I would say is. I look at it less from time frame and I look at more of reps, right? Like the one upside of our industry, it could take you six months if you're making 30 calls a day. You're making 80 calls a day, it's going to take you significantly less, right? Like, and to your point, I mean, if you're in some of, like we were talking earlier, if you're in, you know, SaaS services, some of the sales cycles are a year, right? You're not going to get as many reps as you can in this industry. And that one necessarily, if you've got larger deals, longer sales cycles, but it's always a function of practice, right? How many times have you swung the bat? How many times have you swung the golf club? How many threes have you sat there and shot in your backyard, right? Like how much work have you put in?
2: Right. Yeah, and, and I think better be a better indicator than just calls is like actual conversations. Like how many mm-hmm. conversations are you actually having? Cause you can make any yep. calls, but if you only talk to two yes. people, that's nothing. If you make 30 dollars. and you talk to six, right, then you actually get more out of that. So I look at, you know, how many conversations have you had? Yep. And then you look at some of the metrics, like, okay, are you scheduling whatever the next step is? Like, are you, are you able to get that, that mm-hmm. done if you can? then that's, that's pretty helpful.
3: Yeah, activity begets results, but it's not just the volume of activity, it's that learning opportunity along the way that takes place right mm-hmm. and, and you got, you're getting better, you're performing better and it, and you're tracking all these metrics that are activity based and but you're really its outcomes are what you're ultimately measuring. And then if people are hitting their numbers, you no longer have to sit down with all the activity metrics and go through them. Right. And that's, you know, one of the things that's really good about simtrain is you're actually having those conversations that Trey's talking about. I wanted to ask you that.
1: instead of just on the dials. Can you tell us just a little bit more um, before we segue on like, what is the feedback for the user like? Like, what's the experience? So if I'm doing a simulation, like, how does that like play out? Can you give us like even maybe even a little example of like how that looks like from the user's point of view? Yeah, I'll give you two examples. I'll, I'll log in
3: Simtrain. I'll pick a track and trace and, and I'll, in Simtrain, I'll go into my TMS solution. Mm-hmm. I'll, ide- I'll identify the load, you know, based on, you know, whatever the criteria is that I'm using to identify the load. I'll actually make the phone call to the carrier mm-hmm. and and have that conversation with the carrier, which is all
1: simulated, right? It's not, it's a simulated conversation. How does that and work? Update. How does that work? Like the simulated conversation, am I speaking with like a robot? Am I speaking with like a recording? Like how does that?
3: Yeah, what's cool is you can speak to a human voice, right? It's Mm -hmm. a robotic response that has a human voice overlay. Mm -hmm. You can do the text to speech voices. They're okay, they're pretty good but it's way better when you're talking to a human. So it's, it's a robotic response, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a simulated response, but you can overlay the human voice on that so you're actually talking to a human yep. inside of Simtrain yeah, and, and responding and, and updating
2: the software. The, Go, and when you're building the sims, uh, you can record your own voice. So like if I'm the okay. sales manager, I can build these sims and then I can actually be the response. So it's not just a, like just a, a digital voice, it can actually so you,
0: be my voice giving responses. Yep. So, for example, like you could, let's say you wanted one of your sims to be, um, you know, someone's going to book a truck, and the person on the airline, the dispatcher of the carrier, is kind of uh, red flags for double brokering potential, right? You could record simulations where, hmm. you know, they're they're getting real shady about their responses to your questions about what's, you know, you know. What's the MC on the side of the truck or, you know, what's the truck and trailer number? And so you can you can pre-build all those yourself, customized to whatever content you want your folks to be exposed to and trained on and different iterations of it. You can have it softer and then
3: have them be shadier as you do similar scenarios that are like and and be able to work through those different strategies and questions and how to do, how to do the right discovery to make sure. Yeah, Dan, the even though they messed with us, that was your fault cuz you didn't ask the right sorts of questions. You didn't navigate that dialogue the right way. Absolutely, Nate. Yeah,
0: and, and uh, the other application like the sales side of it too. Even you can you could probably throw like the top 20 or 30 objections in there, right? Of that the brokers get all day yeah. long when they're calling on customers and give them
1: reps yep. on that. That's pretty good. I'm excited to get in here and get my hands dirty and to start going through some of this. Cool. We'll, we'll get it. We'll get you set up, Ben.
0: Well, good stuff. Uh, well, hey, we're gonna we're gonna transition into our Q and A before we wrap it up here. Um, so we've got three. Usually, I would give a shout out to Lean, but I think we Trey, you, you gave a pretty good uh, spiel today. And well, you can uh, always give a
2: shout out to Lean. They're never gonna. Never gonna negotiate at that. <laughs>
0: well, it's been, obviously the, the, biggest, the biggest thing here has been like the labor shortage recently and, and folks wanna know how to hire. And I've referred a lot of people over to lean over the years. And uh, we, I mean, Ben and I use them ourselves. We use lean for, you know, we, we've we got the, the marketing side, the tech side and uh, obviously staffing's huge. So uh, yeah, we just lean had an event grew. up in Chicago
2: we took uh we took several uh you know employees or employees excuse me customers to the cubs cardinals game at wrigley and the the overwhelming sentiment of course from small brokerages to larger companies is we couldn't be where we are today without working with lean so it's a testament to uh, the employees and to the structure uh that lean has it just makes it so much easier to uh, what we try to say is we take the headaches out of hiring and growing your team that's really what they do it just makes it really really simple
0: Awesome. All right, first question today, From these are all from our listeners, and these all came through um, the contact form on our website, so we appreciate everyone sending your questions in. Um, First one was, uh, how can I find a broker to be an agent for if I have no experience? Uh, And so I I personally get this, I run into this a lot, especially working in the agent-based world uh, with Pierce Worldwide is, you get, you know, a lot of the bigger agent-based companies, they're gonna want someone that's already experienced as a broker, they already have a a customer book of business of all their shippers and whatnot. And they're like, well, you know, if I don't have a book of business, how do I go, you know, how do I go get hired and, or how do I go be an agent for somebody? And um, my answer to this is you're not gonna, you're not gonna be able to go to a big agent based company without experience, without customers and expect to to just become an agent for them because they don't have training involved there. They want folks that are experienced. So that doesn't mean that you can't go network with a smaller broker or someone that you know and become their first agent. Or there's, you know, there's some brokerages out there that um, they might do like a, hey, we'll hire you and we'll put you on straight commission and put you through training. And then if you make it, you'll be an agent for us. Uh, but I what I really like is if you find a successful broker or brokerage that doesn't have any agents and you want to go be their first one there's nothing wrong with presenting that to them Ben do you have anything you want to add there? I think they've got they've got to get experience somehow um, and they've got to find someone that's going to take take a risk with them.
1: And I I would say that we definitely, I mean, even just in our connections, I can name a handful of brokerages that are W2 that are looking to launch their agent program. And I know they're actively looking for ways to connect with people that are similar to this. And I know for a fact that a lot of them also have taken flyers on their first agent like you'd said hey you know what this guy seems hungry seems like he's going to put the effort in I'm willing to take a flyer on this guy he sold me and that's your first sale right the first sale you're going to make is going to be to the company owner on bringing you on an agent tell them why have that plotted out I think the other way is and you've talked about this quite a bit is start calling Start trying to get customers. Go through Google and just start calling and start trying to build rapport with prospects. If you've got some prospects that are willing to work with you, you now have a much better hand to play when you call that brokerage and say, look, I don't have my license, I'm not working under anybody's license, but I've been calling for the past three months and I've got three companies that really said they'd be willing to work with me. If I bring this business, would you give me a shot? Now you've got two viable options, I think ways for people without experience to try to work their way into an agency, market. and then
0: I think you have to set the expectation too, um, you know, that you want to go to a company that is going to show you the ropes and, and educate you. You know, you have to learn the, the, the freight brokerage industry, right? You can't just go set up as a ten ninety nine sales rep or a sales agent for a brokerage and have no knowledge, right? So there's expectation management of you're going to put the hustle in and they're going to give you mentorship and training along the way to kind of bring those two together of your effort and then, you know, their education and training and knowledge. So, um, it's all, it's traditional, ne- traditional networking, right? If, if a big mm-hmm. company is going to tell you, no, cause they're very, you know, cookie cutter on what they're looking for. You got to go the traditional networking route and sell yourself to somebody. Um, and I've had people that I've blatantly told, like, no, you're, you're not a good fit for us, we don't have the training for you to, to get you up to speed. And they'll give me a million reasons why, take a shot on me, and I'm like, I really appreciate your, you know, your attempt uh, your here, but it's it's honestly, and I'll just, I'll try to refer them, like, hey, there's this company that I'm aware of that does mm-hmm. have training for, for newer, uh, or for agents that are not experienced, and they'll put you basically through an interview process and see if you, uh, you know, make the cut, but. Um, all right. Industry. So that was that question. Next one is: What is the best industry to prospect for new shippers? I don't know that there. <laughs> I don't know that there is one. I get people ask me a lot, like, who should I prospect? What kind of what kind of commodities should I go after? Um, ben, what's your what's your input on this Our one?
1: Two answers. The first answer is: If you're new, go after lower risk commodities. Um, they tend to have lower barriers to entry. You're more likely to get onboarded with a customer that ships commodities that aren't risk so the lumbers of the world, the building materials, the bricks, sidewalk pavers, stone, the things that really are heavy, that people don't pay high margin to move because they can move usually over a few days, not any specific day, you'll be way more likely to succeed with them. I think if you're in the industry, you've got some customers and you're looking for who to prospect now, I'm always looking for the, the ones that have the supply chain issues. And there are no shortage of news articles right now of companies that are having supply chain issues. No matter where you look, there's something every week where they're talking about a company that can't get product, they can't get it to customers, that's where I get my prospecting ideas. I don't watch the news to be caught up on every horrible thing that's going on in the world. I watch the news because I wanna hear about the things that are going wrong in our industry and anecdotally, those are the best things to talk about on prospecting calls anyway. That's your ammunition when you pick up the phone to call. Hey, I heard, you know, there's a baby food shortage because your plant's been shut down for the past three months. Hey, are you guys needing any more capacity out of your existing plants? You know, it's been a real issue. I know your customers love your product. That's a whole prospecting call right there, just from watching the news. That's what I personally go after and that's how I find what I'm gonna go prospect.
0: I would add into. to, um you know, look at what you've been successful in if you've been broken for a while. So if you're really good in a certain niche, continue to to prospect around that, right? So if you're good with um, oversized, overdimensional, heavy haul type stuff, and you're really savvy with permits and at, uh, when are escort vehicles needed and stuff like that, stay in that realm. You can expand out to different um, yeah. geographical markets or maybe different commodities inside of that, but you're if you're really good at that one thing, stick to it. You're better off going um, deep than going
1: wide, absolutely. If you've yeah. got something that works, go farther and do it. You're better being an expert in one thing than a jack of all trades and a master of nothing. Doing a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Don't be afraid right, to last ask for question. The referrals.
0: Ask for the oh, referrals. Yeah. Oh yeah, percent. Referrals are like, that's, that's the gold right And
1: there. the number one so. reason why people don't get them is simple, they don't ask. They don't ask. And when no. they pull people, would you be willing to give mm-hmm. referrals to the guys that you like working with? A hundred percent. Have you? No, why not? Because they've never asked. And people feel like yep. they're imposing and they don't realize that yeah. like, if you're providing good service, they want to refer you to people that they know.
0: Definitely. All right, last question here before we wrap up is, um which sales script do you recommend? Um, I'm actually, I, I want to answer this and then I'm gonna I wanna ask Dan his thoughts on this. So Ben, we've talked scripts so much, and I am not a fan of, of using a script. And I know there's like Jordan Belfort or whatever, the the Wolf of Wall Street, right? Mm-hmm. I read his book and he's all about sales scripts, I'm not. I think in brokerage, um, I think the personality and the way that you present just as, as yourself and as an individual is going to sell way more than the words that you're saying. But I'm also a fan of, if you're newer, having bullet points that you can reference of questions that you're going to want to ask things you're going to want to discuss and talk about and maybe just you know um if a certain objection comes up you know bullet points on what you can hit on or how you can respond but the 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 traditional like hi i'm nate and i'm a freight broker with abc logistics and we have trucks in your area do you have a need for truck like i'm not a fan of those kind of scripts and i think that um, nobody is listening on people's calls and learning However, the different people's how they talk and present to a prospect, I think that's beneficial because then you can kind of learn. You pick things away like, oh, I like how he did this and how she said that. I don't like what they did. And you kind of make your own. Um, and so, Dan, I'm curious, just in general with sales. Yeah. What is your thought on scripts and how, what's the methodology that you, that you found successful or that you think works?
3: So, Nate, your example was perfect, right? When you said I don't like scripts. Nobody likes the one that you just did. Right? Nobody likes a robot reading something to them. That's just someone who didn't practice their scripts. Right? Actually, the company where I developed Simtrain was an outbound sales prospecting. I trained over 10,000 software sales reps on how to prospect more effectively. And scripts are helpful because they guide them, right? You need a starting point and an end point and the types of things. If you read your script, you're dead, right? But if you use a script as a guide to get you there, it's kind of like what you said about bullets. Do I have five bullets that's gonna be one, two, three, four, five, and I gotta get through that flow so I can get to an end point? That's really helpful. And then what's really cool is I could, I could practice each one of those five things, Nate, and I could practice the intro, I could practice the ask for meeting, I could practice the close, the follow-up, and boom, 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 and I get through those, and all of a sudden, now I don't ever have to read my script, ever, and I always challenge people, I'm like, I'll role play with you right now. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, give me one second, what are you doing? I'm getting my script ready. They're like, come on, you wrote these scripts. I'm like, yeah, I know I wrote them, I put them together, but I need them just to kind of guide me through. Cause if I get lost, I got to get back on track, right? So I use, always use, it. I didn't feel like it was a crutch to me. I just felt like it was more like a guide to help me get to my end result.
0: That's a fair point. That's a fair point to have it as a guide, um, but not to read directly off of it, uh, right. but to be able to reference it. And I, I agree. To that
1: extent. Ben, I've, I'm curious your thoughts, because you, you you started out of big box. I've brokerage. done both. Well, and previous to me being there, my first sales experience was B2C, so consumer. And scripts. I'll never forget, like, I was so adamantly opposed when I started that like I like felt offended. Like, you're gonna tell me how to talk to people? Like, didn't you hire me so that I could talk to people? Like, isn't that what I bring to the table? Like, literally offended me. But luckily, like my best friend happened to be the manager there, and he's like, Ben, he's like, try this for two months. If you don't make more money this way, then you lost two months. Would you, would you trust me to try this? And shit you not, like quadrupled the amount of money I made by using the script, but what I learned after, to Dan's point is, it's not reading it. It's once you know it so well that it becomes integral to your voice, your tones, your you know, rate of speech, your context, It becomes part of you i find that i and i've I've written scripts for our industry where i've run into issues in ours is that every shippers sop is just completely different than the next that you talk to and the commodities they ship and the way they do business is just so independent to them that the consistent approach to every shipper i've not been as successful with i think scripting openings and having a guideline like Dan pointed out. This is where I want to start. This is what I want to happen here. This is where I need a hook. This is where I want to leave. Knowing that and practicing that I think is very helpful. I think that our industry needs a little bit more flexibility than some that I've worked in in sales like insurance. Absolutely. I've been in car sales like I've coached in those industries. I've done financial advising. A lot of those work very well because you've got the same consistent needs you're trying to find on the other side. And ours, I think they're a little different from company to company. But again, I think the most accurate way to speak is to write out what you want to say first to practice it so that at least you know where you want to go. Because so many people jump into a sales call without any idea where they want to take it. They're like, oh, just go wherever it goes. And the reality is, is like, you're the one directing the call. You should know where you're trying to get to at the end of it. You're the one leading it. And without writing that down for yourself, how do you even know where you're trying to take them to?
0: That's fair. Yeah, that, I agree. Well, good discussion on it. Um, it's like people, we get asked all the time, like, can do you can you give us a script? I'm like, I don't, we don't have one, and uh, I don't know that we'll ever. You know, what we could probably create, Ben, is um, some kind of a hybrid between my bullet point system and your uh, your, your script methodology. So we'll Call flow. Stay tuned, listeners. We'll come up with something. Nate's um, called all up. right. Well, good episode. Trey, Trey had to leave us early, so uh, I'm going to pretend I'm Trey real quick. Trey, it was good having you. We'll see you soon. Sounds good, Nate. Go Chiefs. Uh, that's what he would say: is Go Chiefs. Go Chiefs. Um, but all right. So Dan McCann, Simtrain, How do uh, how do folks reach out to you if they want to if they want to get in touch?
3: Yeah, simtrain.com, S Y M T R A I N. Uh, We're on LinkedIn as well. My email is dan.mccann at simtrain.com. And I look forward to, uh, um, you know, getting to know some folks and and seeing where we can help out. Um, Really excited about the opportunity. And and after Simtrain, the next software I'm going to build is that little thing that Trey uses to pretend he's trying to get back in even though he's doing something else. I think that's pretty (laughs) (laughs) neat.
0: Love it, love it. All right, good stuff. Uh,
1: Ben, any final thoughts here? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. You're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps
0: up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at freight360.net to see our entire
1: library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the contact us form on our site and we'll see you next week.